uh, with that, this series that we started, small as we are, we started last week. This is an opportunity for us to kind of dive into what many refer to as the minutia of everyday life. Um, Rod Dreher says this, is quote on the screen, everydayness is my problem. Everydayness is my problem. It's easy to think about what you would do in wartime or if a hurricane blows through or if you spent a month in Paris or if your guy wins the election or if you won the lottery or bought that thing you really wanted. It's a lot more difficult to figure out how you're going to get through today without despair. That sounds a little intense. But for a lot of us, uh, this is actually the, 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 this is the issue. Um, in fact, church, I think church sometimes can become um, something that weirdly like inoculates us to having to ask the really tough questions about like what it means to live with purpose every day. Not always, but we can show up and we think church is a Sunday thing. We just think it's just about this gathering and the band plays just loud enough and, the, and the, the woman or man up front, like, is just charismatic enough, just smiley enough, right? Gets everybody ramped up just, and you leave, ah, oh, man, I left feeling so good today, Pastor. Oh, great. What was it that really struck you? I don't know. Just the sermon was amazing. Oh, what about the sermon was amazing? I'm not sure. I, I don't even, I'm not quite sure what you spoke on, but it just was awesome. Like, how I felt was awesome. Right? This is normal. Not for, it's not everyone, and hopefully we're trying to push against this here at our church, but what this can do is we come and we sort of get a shot of like, yes, community, love, church, and we go home and, and we have to do the dishes. Amen? We have to go home and we have to do the laundry and we have to do, change the diapers and we have like massive like papers due already, right? For some of you, I just triggered like anxiety. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I know. You're like leaving. Oh, wow, there's like four brown students who just sprinted out the door. <laughs> um, we mean this, this, this little trailer here. Like God, God actually says like that the everyday person, like from the slave to the free, from the man to the woman, all tribes, tongues, and nations, like you matter to God. Jesus calls us friends. And then when we use this grand language, if you've been around sanctuary at all, and, and if you're new with us, a term we use often is joining God in the renewal of all things. In large part, that's actually what I'm going to be talking about tonight, is like where do we derive this understanding of what we're to be about? So tonight will actually really be a, a phenomenal kind of jump off for what we're talking about this morning. But when we hear phrases like that, if you're like me and you have kind of a, a either sort of re revolutionary spirit, emphasis on the spirit, right? Like I'm just like, yes, let's go. I feel like God gifted me with, with the gift either of getting people rallied up for good things or it could be translated as the gift of BS, right? And sometimes it's really gray in the middle. <laughs> because everything is revolution sometimes to me. And, and for us, we, we can... Uh, for a lot of us, I know, have gotten quickly burned out by the like, yes, let's go serve, let's change the world. I heard someone talk about how we can care for the poor and, and overcome like the cultural brokenness that we see around us. And what happens is, is we either learn to exhaustion 
We leave that, or it becomes something that's delusional. We say we're doing that and we're not. Or for a lot of us, we become apathetic. We become despondent completely. So we burn out. We, we, it becomes an inoculation where we think we're a part of it. We're actually not doing anything. Or, or we get despondent and apathetic. And so what I want to talk about is not metaculture. It's not like joining God in the renewal of like dealing with like this huge social issue over here. It's not joining God in the renewal of, okay, we are going to blank in this country. I want this to be about your uh, two or three people you see regularly, about this place where you spend 90% of your life, which is at work. This is where you spend your life. Right? Even those who are unemployed, like you have places that you spend your life. Places where you, like these are the few people you interact. And this is the place where you can have an unbelievable impact on culture. The culture of your home. The culture of your marriage. The culture of your office. The culture of the dorm. You actually have unbelievable possibility to join God. A verse we quote often in Corinthians is that God has reconciled us Right? And then he's called us to be reconcilers in the world as if he is making his appeal through us. Like, I don't understand the plan, and I could talk to you about my like understanding and philosophical underpinnings of why God chooses to use us. Again, we're going to get into that a little bit tonight. But regardless, he, he, it's as if God's making his appeal through the barista at Starbucks that he might change the culture of Starbucks on Thayer Street. <laughs> yes. I, I literally was hoping that would happen. And it's funny, is there have been a number of Christians, while we're talking about the Thayer Street Starbucks, who have passed through that space. Like, they have actually, like, used that. I go in there most days, and I see college ministers throughout that place. I know a couple of the baristas. I have the ethical dilemma when the Christian barista wants to give me the free coffee. <laughs> Do I take it? You're technically robbing Starbucks, but this is also a really kind gesture. Right? i got to work through the ethical dilemmas of that. We'll actually talk about that in a minute. It's as if God is making his appeal through you, the engineer. As if God is making his appeal through mom or dad with the kids at home. And this is imperative to when we talk about the everydayness, which is this problem, that there's a difficulty, that is the struggle. So not metaculture, but the culture that sits right around us. So today I want to talk about what our motives are, how we do and what we do. Right? We'll do things that are incredibly similar to every other person. Someone who has absolutely no Christian belief, no faith in anything at all, right? On the surface, at first glance, it will look exactly like everybody else for the most part. We're just doing our job. We want to do our job well. But the difference here is what or how we do it and why we do it. How do we actually then actually go about doing it and why do we do these things? Why do we do it? What is our personal motivation and how this can change the temperature in whatever room you find yourself? So I want to go through and give possibly one of my more boring sermons. I say that, yeah, give it up. There's a lot of people who actually really love, genuinely, like I love when you say like you're going to do a boring sermon because it means you're just going to like line up some facts for me. So for those of you, the type A personalities, give it up for the J's. 
about to rock your face off. No, I, I, I do say that and that for those of you who attended the Work and Faith event we did a year and a half ago, some of this will be a little bit of a recap. Uh, and, and for some of you, you've dabbled in some of these ideas before. You've thought about some of this stuff. My encouragement for every single person, whether this is brand new or whether some of this feels a little bit like, um, like, like a reminder, is that none of us have mastered this. None of us have, have really truly gotten a full grip because the stories that I've heard of folks that have at least started to journey down this road of asking the question, what does purpose look like right here? What does it look like to follow God right in this moment? Right, it's five in the morning and Harper is awake, my child. Like what, oh God, I want to follow you. I want to honor you in all that I do. Oh my gosh, she's screaming through the monitor. I am so tired and she smells like poop. Like, oh God. Like in the, whatever that moment translates for you, and not just in the hard stuff, in the you've been in this job for 10 years and you feel like it gives you no life. What does that look like for us? What is the personal motivation? How we do what we do. Our how and our why are very different. Colossians 3.17 is our text today. I want to invite you. This is an ancient tradition uh, that we love to take part in. Even if you are not a Christian, we love to stand. Like, there's a bit of reverence for the reading of the word. So would you stand with me? Colossians 3.17, this is our text. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Oftentimes, I think we think about the spiritual bits, right, the little pieces like God will judge, God, is, God cares about how well we did in Bible study or how well we sang or how well we do, whatever, like how well um, we, we listened to God, how spiritual we ended up coming across. Um, even, even maybe our, our theology is a little more developed than that. Like how do we love? Do we love people really well? Which are really great questions. Um, but all of life we see here in scripture, like everything you do, the everything you do there is not relegated to a particular subject. Everything you do is not relegated to just a tiny little part of your life. This is the word in Greek means everything. That actually means what it says. <laughs> so what's interesting when we think about, okay, so at the end of our lives, right, whatever uh, very uh, orthodox or heretical version you have of like what the end of the world will look like, when we come to the end and you're standing before God, I always imagine I would like see a playback of my entire life. Like I'd watch the video for, I've got eternity. So I just sit there for, you know, 70 something years and just, Oh, whoa, whoa, I didn't know that. Oh, Corey was hiding behind that thing. It's great. You know, and I would play it back. And then as it was going, God would go, that's good. That's good. That's, that's all right. That's all right. That's really bad. That's bad. That's bad. And really the highlight reel would be, yeah, man, all this stuff. You just totally missed the boat. You didn't love well. You didn't do justice. You were too preoccupied with yourself. There's your pride. There's your, and God would just roll down it. And in that moment, right, I'd be met with the powerful love of God. And I'd be like, wow, God, you're even greater than I thought. And like everything you read about in Revelation, I would just fall on my knees and just say, oh my gosh, God, thank you for like really creating a, a really clear like divide here of how amazing you are and beautiful you are and how gracious and merciful and how little and small I am. I have no doubt part of that is going to take place if I read even a little bit of scripture. But what's interesting is this. In 1 Corinthians 4, the writer says, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes 
He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and he will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise. The praise from God. Apparently, God's gonna just praise you, not worship you. But at the very end, like, God is gonna highlight those things that are really good and true and beautiful and go, way to go. Like, have we thought about this? We are gonna be praised in some way, maybe, by God. There's a way, in other words, just think about it like this. There's a way that we can live our life, that every square inch of our life, there's a way we can live that that praises, that pleases God, excuse me, that's in tune with how things are. There's actually a way to live our life that God would look back and go, yes, nailing it, right? God turns around to Holy Spirit and, and Jesus is like, this guy, this guy, God, we gotta go buy him a beer. Like, this is amazing. Like, this is a good thing. And I love this because this is what's so beautiful about the nature of God. Some of us have this, like, this Santa Claus making a list, checking it twice, right, God? And I know that God's not like that. I've read the Bible, and yet still for me, it creeps in. But all the images we have of a God who shows up in our life here and now, or whether we're talking about the end, is like light. God just shines a light. I've used this analogy before. I have a friend of mine who just works out, and like he eats really, really well, right? This guy's obnoxious. <laughs> but he's actually one of the quiet, quietest, like most soft-spoken, gentle human beings I've ever met in my life. In other words, he's not one of these people who's like evangelizing his workout schedule. Like, dude, CrossFit forever. Dude, dude, I just, just lift, I, I was going to make a CrossFit joke, and I realized I had known nothing about CrossFit. So <laughs> note to self, before joke, learn. Um, yeah, but like he just shows up. Like he walks into a room, and like we're just talking about, yeah, what's going on, what's up? And I'm just like looking at him like, ah, dude, more smoothies, more running. <laughs> right, just his very presence causes me to think I should be healthier with my body. Just his presence. And, and that's what it is with God. When you show up and you are in the presence of perfect love, of perfect generosity, of a God who will call every tribe, tongue, and nation, a God who whispers and breathes life, a God who is inherently creative and full of generosity. When you show up in light of that, you bet you're, there's gonna be a place of conviction. And that God, that God says, when I show up, Man, and, I, and light is shown on everything and all the motives of your heart, of the everyday things that you do are exposed. Man, I just, God, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to praising you for the things that line up with what is true about the world, that line up with my character. And so we need to have this thought because we need a holy ambition for our everyday life. This is the kind of like script that needs to be cycling in the back of our head. Because this is what's beautiful about being a follower of Jesus. Is that we are so deeply loved, right? This is the assurance that Steve walked us through. We are loved exactly where we are and loved far too much, right? To let God stay, let us stay in that place. That because we're so loved, because we don't have to worry about earning our salvation, then things like conviction to live every day with a holy ambition, to live it in light of a God who, uh, who can work through every moment and who will judge and pierce out the broken parts of us. We should get excited about that. We should be enthused. We should be fired up to do that because this isn't a matter of identity. We already know where our identity is. Now we just want to line ourselves up with what is true and actually life-giving. That should be empowering for us. Empowering for us. We need to have a holy ambition that what we do matters and that we can bring glory to God. 
And so to go back to our main text, giving glory to God in all that you do. In all that you do, do it all for the glory of God. What on earth does that mean? That is one of the most Christian phrases I could think. That would rank in my top five CCLI hits. That is, right? Like, give thanks. Holy. Yeah, God is just so holy. What do you mean by that? Right? Most people, like, when they give their definition, are like, no, you're holy. Holy. Just, it's great. He's holy. Oh, yeah, no, no. What do you mean by that? Yeah, you know. Holy. Okay. All right, give glory to God. What does it mean in every moment to give glory to God? Here's a way to understand this. This is not the, I, I could give a whole sermon on glory to God. I think I actually already have to talk about it. This is one angle that I find really captivating. This uh, word kavod is the word for glory. It means weight, significance. So do everything like, like in light of the weight and significance of God. And so this term kavana, which is a Jewish teaching, uh, and, and this is the idea behind kavana. This is just a way to understand and get at what it means to do everything for the glory of God. That when the fall happened, so when sin entered into the human story, God's glory, his weight, his creative energy covering everything shattered and separated from creation. And so when we do our jobs, this is the idea of kavana, when we do our jobs with holy intent, we reunite the possibility of the glory of God in all of creation. This is part of what it is to join God in what he's doing, that because of our brokenness, because of our sin, the, the, the fact is that people don't recognize and see the weight and beauty and glory and significance of God, and we can actually join God in reuniting the glory of God back with his creation. We do things in such a way that brings weight and significance to it. We can do things in such a way that bring weight and significance to it. When the writer says, do everything you do for the glory of the God, we can do every single thing we do. We can bring weight and significance to it. One story in the, this Kavana tale that's told is the one of the cobbler. That guy makes shoes. That the sole of the shoe, that every stitch is reuniting the weight and significance of God to the everyday. I love that. We all know it's possible to do a job in a lame and in a despondent way, right? We all know it's possible to do your job in a detached way. And so in light of this, in light of doing everything for the glory of God, we as followers of Jesus can't do that. And this is the challenge, right? If we're to be people who offer every move that we make as a sacrifice, knowing that we have like access to the God of the universe. Like we have to be people who then enter in to whatever the task is with a sort of openness and a surrender to what God might do in that situation. When you do everything for the glory of God, for instance, it's usually better. It's usually better. Like it's, it has a greater level of excellence, not necessarily better than the guy next to you, but for you, every stitch, every lecture, every paper, as if Jesus was coming over. It sounds kind of really like silly in a way, but like I, I want to do everything I do for the glory of God. It's really easy for me in this job ever since I started doing the pastor thing, right? Because it all feels inherently like Christian. It all feels, oh, it's all for God. And man, I could give sermons for all the wrong reasons. Like my heart can be all messed up and all like broken. And in that same way, every task that we actually enter into these things can be done with really impure motives or these things can be done in a kind of way that like 
is, is, is powerful. If you're doing your job just to make a few extra bucks so you can go drinking with your buddies, that's, that's great. I, I get it. But man, what if even that place was filled with holy intent? I always think about this in terms of like, what's the motivation if I'm really searching for some other job or I know I want to be here? This is exactly the way Jesus says, don't live. You can have vision for your future, but live every day like it's your last. So right now, here I am at a retail outlet, a J. Crew. Here I am doing a job that I think is I'm managing proper. Whatever you think is the job that you're doing that you think doesn't have some sort of like holy uh, intention to it. And yet you can bring holy intention to it because you're not promised tomorrow anyway. So doing that job with waiting significance is crucial. And so everything, every action should take on new weight, which leads us to excellence. And it leads us to a reason for it. Excellence happens when everything takes on holy intent. Excellence happens when everything takes on holy intent. And we've missed this in different parts of the church. Dorothy Sayers says, Our approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays, right? That's usually what we go, oh, you're a carpenter, cool. Yeah, don't, apparently there was a lot of drunk carpenters where Dorothy Sayer was, so that was, <laughs> you know, like, in other words, don't screw about, right? Watch your language, right? Just be nice, and then come to church. What the church should be telling the carpenter is this, that the very first demand that his faith makes upon him is that he should make good tables. This is profound. This might seem really simple, but this is kind of like a really important lens that we need to see through. Oh, I'm a Christian carpenter. No, no, you, you've been made by the God who is a creator. And if you're doing everything for the glory of God, first and foremost, before we talk about how you're treating people, you should be striving to do that job so well as if Jesus were your boss. To invest in your craft, this level of excellence is something that is not detached from spirituality. It is not detached from the love of God. In the book, uh, what, Works, what Work Matters to God, which I highly recommend, the writer says this, or writers say this, the mundane and the secular become weighty in significance. Here's how. I don't think that anyone would have preferred that Handel or Bach, that those are uh, musicians, by the way. Yes, musicians. Oh my gosh, I have to tell you something. I was resisting doing this, but I gotta do it. I mourned for humanity couple days ago. However you feel about the fact that if you have iTunes, you opened your iTunes this week and a new U2 album was waiting for you. Yeah, some of you were thrilled. Some of you felt like that was really invasive. Either way, there was a new free U2 album for those of you who follow Apple products, music, or anything that's holy in the world. Um, I'm kidding, sort of. So, this U2 album appears, and sure enough, a number of folks, and I want to say, oh, I understand, but I don't understand. On Twitter, trending a day later, because I think the album started showing up like in waves kind of across the, the platform, uh, uh, something started to trend, and it was, who the heck is U2? Some of you are like, no, wait, really answer the question. <laughs> we have a class, U2 101, that meets after Christianity 101. I encourage you to come. <laughs> I don't think that anyone would have preferred that Handel or Bach had quit composing music and become evangelists. 
Or that William Wilberforce had quit Parliament to become an evangelist. The work of people like these has surely been used mightily to, of God to point people's eyes toward eternity, even though it was not principally evangelistic. Like, the whole creation speaks to the glory of God. Like, God says, you will start looking around and you really open your eyes and your ears and you will notice me. Why is it not the same with work? Like, I appreciate this quote, but if you really were to follow it, it's sort of circular in its logic. Like, this stuff brings out evangelism. Like, to see people come to know Jesus. Like, it's a really, really, something that will speak from unbelievably great craft. Right? We know this when we think of, like, the artist Scythian Stevens. I use him often. Or Flannery O'Connor or Dostoevsky. Like, people who are just Christians who make really excellent art. They're really good at it. And so I sit, sat next to a friend of mine at a concert for Sophie and Stevens, and she does not like Jesus at all. I'm not quite sure why she is still my friend, because she just completely disagrees and thinks what I do for a living is toxic. But we hang out. It's cool. We're at Sophie and Stevens, and he starts playing Come Thou Fount on the stage, because he's a great artist, and he loves that hymn, and he happens to be a Christian. And she's like, this is one of my Like that's, like, that has opened her eyes so much so to who God is. Another friend of mine who has a similar story, she has actually come back to the faith because of work like this. You read, likely, Flannery O'Connor in high school. You don't remember because she was so pretty. <laughs> you can do the same job as someone who doesn't know Jesus, but you can do it for incredibly different reasons in a very different sort of way. So whether you fill in the blank with a passion and an excellence, it is something that that in and of itself lines up with what God desires. It also, because as followers of Jesus, it affects our rate of burnout. Well, we're not doing things just to please our overbearing boss. Like we're not just doing things for our own like money-making desires, for our own success, when we're actually doing it for the glory of God. Because, well, I've been endowed with the gift of creativity, so this job, my man, I want to do it in the best possible, most beautiful way. Man, like you won't burn out in the same kind of way. You won't, because your intentions, your reasons are actually really different. You're not trying to earn something. You're doing it out of praise and out of worship. Sometimes things start as obedience, but they shift very quickly when they're in light of God's grace. Work is not made good by labeling it Christian or saying a lot near it, but by doing it with excellence is all I want to say. Excellence and integrity. Christians used to lead the world in vocation. Even some of the people that I've, read, I've mentioned to you used to lead the way. We look at cathedrals like this. This used to be a shining beacon of creativity in our city. This wasn't just for the worshipers here. It was a symbol of craft and beauty and excellence. There was a day. Doing things as an act of worship, even building. Uh, the reformers had this phrase, quorum Deo. Say quorum Deo with me. Quorum Deo. It's a great, great phrase. Before the face of God is what it means. Right, if you need a good tattoo and you're looking for something that's obscure, quorum Deo, before the face of God. They believe that you can live your life directly in the presence of God. This is basically a way of saying God is your true employer. Any one of you, any one of you who has a horrible boss, anyone who feels like you're just a minion in the kingdom of this like giant corporation maybe you work for, Right? Or whoever you work for is an egomaniac. Or a lot of us who are here who are in the younger side of things, you tend to start up, start at the bottom. Now we hear. What happens, 
Only the young people got that reference. We can endure that kind of stuff with patience and grace and mercy if we're, if quorum Deo, if we're living in light, if we're working in light of the God who is our true employer. We can live every moment in the face of a God who cares about every moment of our life. We need to keep our eyes there. He's the one who directs our lives. A helpful reminder in light of this is Colossians 3. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but when when sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Let me read that again. This is talking to people, slaves. This isn't the same way we see slavery in, in modern day or recent past America, but still nonetheless, these are folks who are in the bottom strata. Obey your earthly masters and everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. As we mentioned last week, this means that the alt tab that goes between the data entry you're doing and Facebook, right? Everyone know what I'm talking about? Am I preaching here? The boss walks by, you're typing, and immediately you're like, right? You switch the screen. Some of you, I just taught you alt tab. It's great. No, it's not great. What we do, like even in those moments, like when everybody around you is looking for shortcuts, you're the one going, yeah, yeah, no, no. Even if it's a job you don't care about, because in light of the face of God, it's one of those principles that even if it's a dumb, insignificant thing, it's a basic principle of integrity. Am I doing what I'm doing in light of the fact that I actually believe that God is here, that the things I do now matter? It's sort of like the grumbling thing. We're gonna talk about that actually in a second. I'll save that. But it's just like, this is a big thing when we think about gossip. When we think about how and which am I changing the culture right now. Right, not metaculture, but right here and now. Changing the culture of our workforce. Changing the culture of the place that I find myself in. What you do and the reasons you do it are vital. Just, important, just as important as anything you do on Sunday. So, I'm going to run down a list here. A few thoughts on how to make what you do uh, line up with the glory of God, to bring weight and significance to everything. Here's a couple points that I'd love for you to remember, mill over, and then we're going to spend some time just praying through together. Determine your ethics in advance. We live in a complex world, and the ethics we're facing are incredibly, incredibly complex. And if we try to make calls in the moment, there's too much risk. Decide, all that means is decide what you believe. Understand, if you need to do some learning, do some learning. What is the best, most ethical way to do this? What lines up with the scriptures that line up with truths and justice and integrity? You need to be an expert in your field. Where is your industry headed? Know what's happening within your workforce, even if it's just the smallest thing. Not only could God bless that and cause you to rise in the ranks of your job, but if your motivation is truly like in light of the, doing things excellent, in light of who God is, it will bring glory to God. Uh, this is a great story. I don't have time to get into the details of, but of just a bunch of uh, Harvard students that translated then into Harvard professors who basically put together this code of conduct um, for MBAs and spread to lawyers and a number of other different cultural institutions or a number of other vocations who put together, this is what we're all going to agree on how we're going to behave when we hit the workforce. And what used to was just a piece of paper that didn't mean anything, no one was holding them accountable to it, has actually like taken hold. And now jobs look for this. Have you read this? So someone, who is a Christian, took their ethics and understanding of what it means to be an ethical person, to line up with what is true, there's no deception. We're going to line this up and we're going to actually try to change the temperature of the room. Determine your ethics in advance. Two, stop complaining. This is the, probably the, my favorite one. 
Philippians 2, do everything without grumbling or complaining so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars on the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Like real basic principle. But you want to be different from almost every other employee. Shut your mouth and stop complaining. Seriously. Some of you just need to hear this rebuke straight out. God loves you and God loves the people next to you a lot. Stop complaining. God loves you and cares about the things you say in private, and he cares about the people that you're gossiping about. You're a Christian. Stop gossiping. Just stop. Like, never do it again. We all good? Like, I, this is, I'm like firing this at you, so it fires right back at me. Like, this is so key. Because again, we come to church and then all of a sudden, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people who like now like are in leadership or they see up front and they're like, wait, you let that person like do stuff in your church? Do you know what they're like in their work? I'm like, oh, don't tell me what they're actually like. And it's like Jekyll and Hyde. And I don't mean like we all struggle. We're all hypocritical. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. This is not me lumping some weird expectation that even God doesn't have on you. But this is, are we going to be intentional with our everyday action, especially in the small as we are, little like minor everyday culture, everyday actions, changing diaper world. Like, don't complain, don't gossip. This stuff is crucial to embodying the love of God. This is a way in which we actually love and you will actually shine like stars. Shine like stars. I had somebody talk about they're raising their son and they're kind of putting them through uh, a sort of a really rigorous, like, uh, it's really kind of neat over the next year, just thinking through what are the things I want my son to be about? And just kind of like going through, it's like a year-long discipleship thing for his son is about to turn uh, 13. And these are the two things, and I'm going to remember these to share with Harper. The two things you need to remember, do it without being asked and do more than you were asked. Whatever you do, this will get you far in life. Do it without being asked, if someone asks you to do something, and do more than you are asked. We are going to do stuff that we do not love. Jesus does not complain. Jesus, I mean, gosh, here's the ultimate in servant leadership. You will stand out. You will shine like stars in the sky. That you do, just, just do it. Put your head down and love well and do your work with excellence. Number three, bring your own culture with you. you those of you who are in the room who are Christians, like, there's a rich history of people who have worked in secular jobs in the scriptures, worked in jobs that don't have like ministry word attached to it. But if we truly believe that we have an opportunity to share the love and justice and beauty and generosity of God everywhere we go, then we need to actually bring our culture into the workplace. What are the things that we actually believe? And we need to do this in a way that is humble and to do this in a way that is loving. We see Daniel, Joseph, Esther. We have so many great examples of people who have like just come in wise as serpents, right? Like they've come in and just cared, cared well and began to embody a different way of doing things. It's amazing if you're in a room, just to go back to the gossip thing, like if you're in a place where people are gossiping, if you're just one like, oh, no, I, got, I, just, I just don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about them. You can do that in a way that like actually really indicts everybody without like totally feeling like you're just being like the worst human being ever, right? Just be wise. What are the ways that you can be compelling in your love? What are the ways that you can help people uh, in your workplace understand, like, actually, um, I, have a, I have a different way I think we could go about doing this. I think Daniel, like, initiating his diet in the scripture, if you know that. Like, he just comes, like, let's just try it. Let's just try to operate this way in our business. Let's try to operate this way. Right? Parents do this all the time with kids. 
all right, I know you don't think this is a good idea, right? When they're at the age where they can reason. Let's just try it. Let's try it for a little bit, right? In the back of your head, like, I don't care if you don't want to. We can be wise in helping bring our culture because if we actually believe that Jesus says, I come to give you life and life to the full, then regardless of how broken, hypocritical our posture, our place is, we can actually bring these things in. Four, prayer. Are you praying for your environment? So many of us end up being passive. For the longest time, I was passive. Even in the beginning of starting this church, I felt like I had so much passivity. Um, God is more interested with what you do all week than this hour on Sunday. I am convinced of it. Are you spending five minutes like a day? Are you spending 10 minutes a day? Are you spending the first 15 minutes of your day? Are you praying for your workplace? All right? Are you like, like Jacob? Are you going to your, you know, your work in the morning and walking around it 15 times and praying? Just kidding. But, I mean, what are we doing? Are, are, are we actually going into our workplace and saying, I actually want to be generous in a different kind of way? I want to see what God is up to today. Some of any, so many of us with our actions basically say, I do not want to know what God is up to today. That's what we do. I don't really want to know what God's up to, so I'm not going to pray. God, open my eyes. I might see you. Just even to start there, spend some time praying for your coworkers. You know the needs that are there. Muster the strength, and it will begin to become habit. Thread God's presence through your day. There's going to be hard things that will come in your work. Are you praying? Five, evangelism. This is the one that always, uh, always is like hard for some folks. If you're new here and you're a follower of Jesus, like don't walk out the door, or you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're new here, not a follower of Jesus, don't walk out the door. Evangelism does not have to be a scary word. You do it all the time. We all do it. There are things that we believe in. There are things that we believe are true, and so we want to share them with people. We believe certain things about the way the world is. That's all this is. God wants us to demonstrate and announce the things that we believe are life-giving and beautiful and powerful and amazing. And when can, you can recite more about Apple products than you can about the scriptures. When you evangelize this band or this thing or this way of doing things or the minutiae of your workforce more than Jesus, I don't need to like condemn you, but like there's some disorder going on. <laughs> there's some things that are not in line if we actually believe. And I mentioned this. I, I want to just pull a quick text out for this one. Luke 2, 41. If you have your Bibles or your phones. Luke 2, 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus, the boy Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were, very, they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. They began looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. We just breeze right through that, right? Obviously, it's Jesus. Even boy Jesus is like going to make everybody amazed, right? <laughs> Are you amazed by Jesus? I know you're supposed to be, so let's remove that one for a second. Are you amazed by Jesus? This is a verse that comes up in my subconscious often. Here's why. Because if I go, if I believe Jesus is the son of God, he's manifested himself in the most loving, most brilliant way possible that is beyond poetic. 
He's here to show us what life looks like. He's still sort of in some mysterious way reigning on the throne and guiding us every day. He's delivered me from my sins. He's done all these miraculous things that caused the entire Roman world to turn around. He does stuff that sociologists are still having a hard time understanding how Christianity spread the way that it did because of this man, Jesus. And I'm not daily amazed by him. It's probably something I'm not doing. It's probably some place where I'm not more aware and awake of what God's up to. It doesn't mean there aren't boring days. It doesn't mean there aren't hard days. It doesn't mean, like, I better do my Bible study more. But it probably means you better do your Bible study more. You know what I mean by that? This isn't like a guilt thing. This is like a, wait, why would I not want to know more? Just read through. I mean, it'll take, I think it's uh, 30 minutes over the course of a day. If you hit play, you can listen to the book of Mark over the course of a day. Just let it wash over you. You'll be surprised. Jesus is not who you thought he was. He's more than you thought he was. Are we amazed by Jesus? I mentioned this in light of evangelism because... um, Are we people that in our workplace we're looking for opportunities not just to demonstrate through our excellence the love of God, but are we we up for sharing it? Are we up for talking about it? Is God so deeply like working in our lives? You don't need to know all the apologetics. You don't need to have a well-developed theodicy. You don't need to know what the word theodicy means. You don't. My friend Jill, I always tell this story, like led like a quarter of her sorority to Christ after she came to Jesus. Pretty convinced she knew very little about anything. Like her, her like testimony and her story boil down to like, Jesus is just awesome, you guys, you gotta, and God just worked through it. It's crazy. Don't be intimidated. Are we amazed daily by Jesus? If so, how could we not let it spill out of your mouth? Maybe this week, take a little eval of what you talk about the most. What are the things you're most excited about? If Jesus isn't in that like rubric, let's go back. Let's be like, these leaders, these religious leaders who are looking at, who are talking with Jesus and they're just amazed. Who is this kid? Oh my gosh. Lastly, the redemptive edge of your industry. I mention this phrase a lot because I love it. Where in your work, whether it is retail, whether it's Starbucks on there, whether it is staying at home, like where is the place? Because there's a fallen edge of your industry. There's a fallen edge of where you look at. There's some places that are not good about the culture of your workforce or the way the organization's structured. What does it mean to find the redemptive edge? The place within your work where justice can go forward. Most companies have a philanthropic department. Get involved with it. Be the person who helps shape where that money goes. Pray through that. What is the opportunities in my day-to-day job to find redemption, to use this for something good and beautiful that lines up with the purposes of God? And then lastly, all of this, a, a, a person who can enact and embody these things, which all point back to giving glory to God, right? Our verse, do everything you do for the weight and significance of God. Bring weight and significance to every moment. These are all just hopefully helpful tools to think about. This stuff can't happen if we are not coming from and working from a place of rest, from a place of Sabbath. We need to be people who are renewing, who our rest time isn't just, and this is fine, zoning out. It isn't just like, I gotta turn my brain off. And believe me, I am right with you. I need to do that all the time. But the more and more I've developed a posture of renewal on my Sabbath, of like engaging God in a way that it's just like, oh, I just need to remind her that I am loved right now more than ever. Just open up the book, I don't know, First John or something. Like just, just spend time marinating in God's love. We spoke about that a few weeks ago. We need to be people who are working from 
a posture of rest, not working for it. We need to be people who head into our work with a full heart so we can create. We need to, at times, take a few steps back and reflect on our workplaces and our relationships so that we can grow spiritually in our work. We need to establish resistance to the idols of success, to the idols of money, and to the idols of power. The kingdom heart doesn't ask, how far up the ladder am I? Right? A kingdom heart doesn't ask, how far up the ladder am I? A kingdom heart asks, am I in the right place? Am I in the right place? If someone really practiced these six principles that we just mentioned, I would venture to guess uh, they would be the only person like that in their workforce. I would bet that you would be the only person like that, unless there's another one of you working in the same place. This is an opportunity for us, small as we are, in light of a massive world, God says, he uses his analogy for how the kingdom will go forward, and he uses a mustard seed. Pushing papers in an office, welcome to the mustard seed. Right there, in the culture of the few people you have in your life, of the, the things that God has entrusted to you, whether your work is incredibly meaningful or incredibly not in the moment. We all do stuff we don't want to do all the time. Are we seeing the divine potential in it? This is one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is to get together with people and retell their story. Let me help you understand what's going on. Let me help you understand that even though you hate this, 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 this about your job, you have an opportunity to love in a way like no other. You have an opportunity to change the temperature in the room. Small as we are, even as you're striving for that job you really want, even as you're pushing towards finding the real purpose that you feel like you want to give your life to, what here and now? My wife was talking about another mother in our church recently, and uh, he, uh, she just said, Corey, my wife said to me, she's like, like this, this woman's like, she, I feel like she's just in this season right now where she's just like owning motherhood. She's like, this is what I'm about, and this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to pour everything in here. This was somebody who could get written off by like certain parts of society. Oh, you're really doing that? Oh, I guess some people just choose to stay home, right? There's a whole stigma attached to that. And like, here's someone who's going like, no, 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 no. This is going to be a place where I'm going to raise some kids in a way that is powerful. I'm going to give myself and my creativity and my thought life, even through the hard stuff, even through the place I'm created. This is my job right now. And I'm going to do it for the glory of God. Mother Teresa says this, and this is like cheesy Hallmark quote, but this is what I wanted to close with. I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. This uh, in some way embodies who we are, small as we are. We are pencil in the hand of a God who is renewing all things, who is sending out a love letter to the world, just a small pencil. You are contributing to that letter. You are contributing to that. Our job is to continue the revolution of Jesus. Uh, so to actually close as we enter a time of, uh, of quiet, I like doing 18 closings. I enjoy that. I wanted to read you something. Uh, this is a, uh, a letter of sorts of somebody who uh, resonated with me because this is somebody who... Um, has this sort of revolutionary spirit, has this desire, like they go to church and they're reminded, yes, we get to join God and putting everything back together and loving well like Jesus and let's be the church. And then when it comes to the everyday, there's this sort of struggle or tension that they don't want to feel anymore. And so this is what they wrote. Everyone wants a revolution. No one wants to do the dishes. 
My life is really rich in dirty dishes and diapers these days and really short in revolutions. I go to a church full of older people who live pretty normal middle-class lives and nice middle-class houses, but I have really come to appreciate this community, to see their lifetimes of sturdy faithfulness to Jesus, their commitment to prayer, and the tangible, beautiful generosity that they show those around them in unnoticed, unimpressive, unmarketable, unrevolutionary ways. And each week, we average sinners and boring saints gather around ordinary bread and wine, and Christ himself is there with us. And here is the embarrassing truth. I still believe in and long for a revolution. I still think we can make a difference beyond just my front door. I still want to live radically for Jesus and be part of him changing the world. I still think mediocrity is dull, and I still fret about settling. Let's be honest. But I've come to the point where I'm not sure anymore just what God counts as radical. And I suspect that for me, getting up and doing the dishes when I'm short on sleep and patience is far more costly and necessitates more of a revolution in my heart than some of the more outwardly risky ways I've lived in the past. And so this is what I need now. The courage to face an ordinary day, an afternoon with a colicky baby where I'm probably going to snap at my two-year-old and get annoyed with the noisy neighbor. Without despair, the bravery it takes to believe that a small life is still a meaningful life. And the grace to know that even when I've done nothing that is powerful or bold or even interesting, that the Lord notices and is fond of me, and that is enough. Maybe at the end of days, the end times, a hurried prayer for an enemy, a passing kindness to a neighbor, or a budget planning on a boring Thursday will be the revolution stories of God making all things new. Small as we are, we can change the culture of our workforce, the culture of our home. And this isn't some like lesser degree. When we're told, do you wanna to know how this kingdom goes forth? It's a mustard seed, it's 12 fishermen. It's a bunch of kids who are lousy and who doubt God all the time. That's how Jesus begins his ministry. Why do we think that the place that God has you right now, that God will not change the temperature of this city through you? The culture of our heart will affect the culture of this church, and the culture of this church will affect the culture of this city. The culture of this city will affect the culture of this country culture of this country may participate and join with changing the culture of this world. We don't know like how God measures every act, but we know that every, every act of kindness and gentleness, of love, of excellence, of integrity, every time we stop complaining and gossiping, God is glorified. And that has to be enough. Let's pray. Pray over my brothers and sisters who are baristas. I pray over my brothers and sisters who are parents. Pray over my brothers and sisters, sisters who are engineers, who are architects, who are students, who are event promoters, who are teachers, who are involved in finance, who are involved in the medical field, for the lawyers 
the accountants. Open our hearts right now, Lord, that you would give us insight into what things need to change yesterday. Just the things that are just like not lining up with your grace. Things that we want to cry out in our hearts like, God, I know that I'm so loved by you. And yet that does not have any, seem to have any effect or change the way I go about my day to day. Our invitation, Lord, that I pray you work through today. is simply what of these principles need to be stepped into. What needs to change? What small act needs to be embodied this week? That we might go back to our home groups or come back next Sunday and and be able to testify to your goodness, to your grace, your power, and your love, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Let that prayer just sort of hover over us, and we're going to spend just a few minutes... If you want to just pull out the notes on your phone or grab a piece of paper or some room in the bulletin we left for you, just to jot a few things down. I don't want to, like, leave here and leave this moment. Like, what are the things that God might be calling you to? And I want to say this, just real quickly, because this is how some of this stuff can translate if you're new, is, wow, I went to a church, and they told me a bunch of stuff that I should really do more of. And if I don't, God will be really disappointed. I need to remind you again if I haven't enough in this teaching. God loves you just because. Just because. The grace of God is that he has forgiven you of your sin and you did nothing to deserve that. That he loves you and calls you his own just like your father should have if he didn't. Just like your mother should have if she didn't. Like regardless of what you do, I don't care if you run away, I don't care if you disown me, I am here waiting for you, I love you. And we did nothing to deserve that love. All of life is grace. And so this whole discussion, we begin right there. And so as others are praying about work and faith and going through these principles and thinking about that, as uh, Corey's going to get up in a minute and just pray this ancient prayer of St. Patrick over us that relates to this. If those of you want to say yes to Jesus, those of you who have like never like even thought about following Jesus or want to put your trust in that grace, Will you use this moment to say yes? I'm going to be in the back lobby area, and I'd love to just, like, talk with you. Maybe as the band sings, if you don't want to draw attention to yourself, feel free to do that. But to actually take a moment and go, yeah, I want to follow Jesus today. I actually want to say yes for the first time. I want to step into this. So let's spend the next five minutes or however long and just think through these principles and ask, okay, what does the revolution look like for me this week?